right now on the Ringer Gambling Feed and all throughout the entire month of August, the East Coast Bias Boys are getting you ready to bet the NFL this season. We're going through each and every single division and revealing our favorite futures, predicting division winners, and even giving you some award winners. Do we think the Kansas City Chiefs will repeat or will they be dethroned? Tune in now to find out on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. There's no better feeling than a personal win, and the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash RingerNFL. Just go to Indeed.com slash RingerNFL right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to Extra Point Taken. Shield Kapadia here alongside Benjamin Solak, who looks like he is in like November week <laughs> 10 form. The man is wearing a like a legit hoodie, not a lightweight hoodie with the hood on. He just said he's going to grab a coffee. We're recording on Monday evening. I don't know what type of hours this man is keeping. Benjamin Solak, what's going on? I just realized as you were doing that description that the pods on video now follow the ringer nfl on tiktok follow the ringer nfl on instagram and that this appearance might happen and so i might need to might need to drop the hood and look a little bit less like a like an eskimo in the tundra here yeah no it rained all day at browns practice all right and the browns are very oriented on playing tough football and being ready for the elements which apparently extends to the media i tried to stand under a tent at one point the man in charge of watching the tent told me very strongly I didn't belong in the tent and I had to get out from the tent. I remembered I had an umbrella in my car about 20 minutes into practice. At that point, the ship had sailed. There was nothing to be recovered. I was soaked to the bone. So I went, I got that umbrella and I stood under it. And it is hard to feel like a serious person when you are standing under an umbrella very wet. You feel like a joke. So that was my day at Cleveland Browns practice. Listen, you're uh, you're grinding away. You're getting ready for the season. It is funny when you mention that about their rules. Different NFL head coaches have different rules for what reporters like what they can do on the sideline. Andy Reid is notorious. He he sees everything. If there's a camera person taking a knee, he yells at him. I don't. I I know this used to be you couldn't be drinking water on the sideline if you were what? a reporter because he didn't want like the players to, to, to see. This was real back in the day at Lehigh University. I don't know if he's still that strict Andy or Reed not. Andy anti-hydration? Like, well, at the time, he's like, I don't want my players to see you over there standing on the sideline, uh, you know, pounding waters while we're out here trying to practice. And then others, uh, I remember Chip Kelly, he just completely, he, he's just like, they don't exist. They can do whatever they want as long as they don't uh, get an hour away. So it really depends on on the coach. So that that's funny that they told you to... Uh, stand out there. Well, you look good. Uh, you, you, you made it through the elements. You're ready to pod. Here's what we're Feeling doing. Cozy. Today, ben. Teams are between like, I don't know, seven and 10 to 12 ish practices in here at training camp. And so we're seeing a lot of training camp preseason narratives start to form. And so we, we scoured the internet as one does. We looked at various reporting. We looked at various takes and said, what are some narratives taking shape here? And do we buy them? Do we think they're legit? Do we think they're nonsense? How do we feel about them as we look ahead? So that's what we're going to do today. We're going to do uh, six of those, and then you're going to hit us with an extra point taken with one that you found as well. So let's start with this one, Ben. I actually saw this one because you retweeted it. And storyline number one, the Cowboys have a plan to cut down on Dak Prescott's interceptions. 
This was a good story by Jory Epstein of Yahoo Sports. Jory. The basic idea. Yeah, good, good story. Good reporting. The basic idea is that the Cowboys are moving to a more West Coast offense, uh, West Coast offense principles that will better, you know, coordinate Dak Prescott's drops, his footwork with the wide receivers routes. You know, generally speaking, West Coast offense means more precise routes by the wide receivers and added emphasis on timing. Uh, quotes in there from Brian Schottenheimer from C.D. Lamb. Basically, they believe that this will bolster ball security and decisiveness. This will get quarterbacks and wide receivers on the same page. We all know Dak Prescott last year, 3.8% interception rate. That ranked 33 out of 33 starters. Ben Solak, how do you feel about this storyline that this, this new offense with Brian Schottenheimer and Mike McCarthy, Dak Prescott is calling it the Texas Coast offense, is going to help the okay. quarterbacks and the wide receivers be on the same page and cut down on interceptions in the 2023 season. Firstly, no one's allowed to name systems anymore. <laughs> we got, we got, we have a ser- we have great systems. West Coast, great name. Air Raid, great name. Earhart Perkins doesn't really have anymore, whatever. Air Coriel, great name. No more naming systems, right? Like even like the Shanahan McVay offense, which is like barely West Coast at this point, we just call it the Shanahan McVay version of the West Coast offense. No, nobody gets to name anything. None of you are trusted. Texas Coast, terrible. Number one. Number two. I think that like, so the piece itself is very interesting because Jory got a lot of really good quotes on how a wide receiver's role changes, even when it might not like be very obvious, and how a quarterback's job changes, even when it might not be very obvious, as a system changes, right? Like we're still running curl routes and slants and and in cuts and comebacks and like all the the routes we know from Madden, but the way that we run them is going to change a little bit. That's an ex- extremely interesting and fun thing, right? Uh, uh, CD Lamb has a great quote in that piece where he's like, uh, "Because I know how many steps Prescott's taking in the drop, I'm like it. It, it at first it slowed it slowed me down, but like now it's letting me do things faster. Like now now like like the perspective means I like." better understand what he's going to need me to do and now it's going to let us use our speed a little bit better like there's there's a lot of like really illustrative quotes in there michael gallup talking about uh like like how he uh, his experience of the last five years is really cool the i the the key point in the piece that jory makes right at the top is it was not that the cowboys offensive coaching staff sat down and said man dak threw 15 interceptions last year how are we gonna make him throw less picks i know we'll have the wide receivers count how many steps he takes. Instead, it was, we're moving to the Mike McCarthy offense. This is moving away from Kellen Moore, where the wide receivers had a lot more flexibility, option routes, their own timing. Moving to a Mike McCarthy offense, where the wide receivers don't have that flexibility. It's, it's much more rigid. And a result of that move, we think that in that shift, in that transition, we're really going to be able to highlight ball security and, and avoiding interceptions and, and I'll bring with precision. So, like... Because if you go back and you look at Dak's interceptions last season, you cannot argue that the number one issue was that like the wide receivers were like super late in their breaks and the timing was super off. It was a lot of like forcing tight windows and then like bad bounces of the ball, bad hands, so on and so forth. It's a lot of stuff that's just going to drop inherently. So I think it's a mistake to be like, Dak had 15 picks, Dak is broken, this is going to fix him. I don't like that linear storyline is not the one that that Jory's that Jory's writing and I think that that's a super big over, oversimplification but it is an interesting change for the Cowboys offense and one of the r- results of it, the consequences of it should be that that is a little bit easier for Dak to avoid some of those tight windows avoid some of those bad bounces and get the interceptions numbered down yeah I just wonder that the, their whole offseason to me has felt so like every time I read or learn more about what the Cowboys are saying or thinking I just wonder if they've identified the right issues, whether there's an overreaction, where there's a, it wasn't like that broken, how much are you actually trying to fix type angle to it. And, you know, just, just Dak Prescott's interceptions, even like I, I look at it and it's like, this was probably going to just self-correct. Like Dak Prescott had a lot of bad luck last year. I mean, if you just look at him historically, 2021, he was better than league average in terms of interception rate. 2020, he's injured. 2019, better than league average. 2018, better than league average. Like 
the interceptions yeah. have not been a major problem for Dak Prescott. They were a problem last year. Uh, that was one season. Like you said, there's definitely some flukiness there, and there's always going to be a small sample type thing uh, with uh, you know, with football statistics. But uh, I was even looking, if you look at his whole career from 2016 to 2021, Ben, uh, 30 quarterbacks during that span have thrown at least 1,500 passes. Five of them had a better interception rate than Dak Prescott. That was Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady, Drew Brees, Patrick Mahomes, and Alex Smith. Like this just hasn't been a major issue in his career. Again, an issue last year, that's fine, but I don't know that uh, you right. know, some of these changes are going to fix that. Now you made the right point. They're they're not coming out saying, hey, we're 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 gonna run more West Coast offense because we think it's gonna cut down interceptions. They're saying we're gonna run more West Coast offense because that's what Mike McCarthy wants to do. That's what Brian Schottenheimer wants to do. They think it's gonna be better and they think a result is going to be uh, fewer interceptions. And also, I would say, like you made the point that Prescott throws into a lot of tight windows. Is that a negative or a positive, you could argue? I mean, I, it's all things yeah. of quarterbacking are neither negatives nor positives. They're coins with two sides, yeah. like, which is not a helpful thing for an analyst to say. Like, nothing is actually good or bad, but that's kind of it, right? Matthew Stafford, 2020, what year is it? 2023? Matthew Stafford, 2021. Throwing into tight windows, the coolest thing in the world, the Rams winning the Super Bowl. 2022, guess who was leading the league in interceptions before he got hurt? Yeah. Matthew Stafford, baby. Like, it's it's all edges, two edges to a sword. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, I think our, our bottom line here is probably pretty similar. I think Dak Prescott's going to throw fewer interceptions this year. Maybe mm -hmm. the change in scheme will have some effect on that. I think if they kept the exact same scheme as last year and Kellen Moore was the offensive coordinator, I still think he would have thrown fewer interceptions this year than last year. That's just the yeah. law of uh, you know bigger samples. And here's and here's the here's the other thing to watch out for in Dallas. Okay, we're changing the system. We're going to be precise. Three step and out. Five step and out. Five step hitch and out. Wide receiver break at seven. Break at nine. Break at fourteen. Like precision. Precision got. A little tiring in Green Bay, okay? There's a young man up there by the name of Aaron Rodgers who said, I'm very good at this quarterbacking thing. If I need to take an extra hitch, I'd like to take an extra hitch because I know what I'm doing. And there was there was a, a conflict there, right? And, and a, a, a huge drop-off in Rodgers' play because of some of the disagreement, because of some of that tension. That came at the end of a long time for Green Bay of running a lot of that precision stuff, right? Mike McCarthy had been there for forever. Dallas, like CeeDee Lamb, Dak Prescott, Michael Gallup, they were running the loosey-goosey stuff last year, right? And so everything's well and good in August. You're installing it. You love the timing. You get to September, and that passing game's not working super well. You're 2-2. Two and two. Guess what your star receiver and your star quarterback are going to start asking for? Hey, we're, we, we, we're really good at this. Can we just like loosen, loosen yeah. this up a little bit? And now you start to do middle grounds, right? Now you start to give a little... Take a little. Yeah. You say, yeah, Dak, don't worry about it. Yeah, you can three-step and hitch if you want. And then Dak three-steps and hitches on a third down. Incompletion comes to the sideline. Why'd you three-step and hitch? That's got to be three-step and the ball's out. Like, you you start, you create gray area. And gray area is not good because now people are not going to be on the same page and you're going to get a blame game going. And so just a, a, a reminder that the whole reason Mike McCarthy is here in Dallas to install his little precision passing game is that the precision passing game got a little old back in the old spot. Yeah, I mean, would you say I, I feel like this is a this is stuff that most teams, coaches, offenses have, have been moving away from, like since Mike McCarthy was in Green Bay, not like, you know, 100 percent. But this is not the direction the league is going. This isn't like the new thing. This is very much the old right. thing that even old school coaches are kind of like, all right, maybe we don't have to do it exactly like Bill Walsh anymore because there are different systems in college that players are coming from and we can allow them a little more freedom and the whole run to green grass, find space, don't run into, you know, yes. uh, a bad look, all these things that we've kind of learned over the years. W would you agree with uh, that's right, very right? much so 100 percent okay. again there's a real good coach by the name of andy reed he does a thing in kansas city you might have seen him on your television in february holding a trophy uh andy man west coast right there was a lot of precision to this and then got with patrick mahomes got in kansas city and said hmm when patrick mahomes and travis kelsey just do whatever they want we tend to get a first down what if we kind of loosen yeah. the, the knots on this a little bit uh i don't in general mind a zag when everyone else is zigging right like like that's true i, I, I like I, again like when it's like nameless and when it's faceless and just like the concept of like hey like the whole league meta is going one way maybe we try to swing the other way and get some some unseen advantages 
once you put a name and a face to it, it's Mike McCarthy. I'm like, okay, I don't know if that's so much a zag when everyone's zigging, so much as just, just what he does and what he's always done, right? And so that kind of changes the context a little bit. I was just wondering, are we being too mean to the Cowboys and Mike McCarthy? And then you ended the segment with that take, which I don't, which I don't disagree with. I mean, to what you were saying earlier, mm-hmm. I, absolutely, you could just picture the story. Week six, uh, you know, uh, Dak Prescott, colon, you know, wide receivers need a little more freedom out there. Or CeeDee Lamb, yeah. you know, say, like you can just see that. It's and then C- Mike yeah. McCarthy saying, yeah, that's true. I don't disagree with them. You know, we're going to mix the two. And Listen, sometimes you mix stuff and it works great. Other times you mix stuff and it doesn't work great. I don't think they've earned the benefit of the doubt. I don't think you think right. they've earned the benefit of the doubt. So we'll see what it looks like. And then, and then the, the really cool thing is that the, uh, the movement, the river is flowing the exact opposite way in Los Angeles, where Kellen Moore's now the OC, where they left Joe Lombardi, which was like three-step precision. Here we go. Like, like this is as fine of timing as we're going to get to now Kellen. And you're going to see that, that offensive change, right? There are so many teams. We're going to talk about a couple more of them throughout this this uh, this pod. Where like the month of September is going to be so interesting because they're just doing new stuff. And the Chargers and and Cowboys are like a perfect example of of kind of equal but opposite directions, right? Uh, just like you know, two lanes of traffic, one going the other way, one going one 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 going one way, one going the other way. In terms of this, like how much freedom do we want to give our quarterback and our receivers? Really cool to see. All right. Speaking of teams that should be pretty interesting in September, number two, quote. There will not be a more diverse, harder to defend offense in the NFC than the Falcons. This comes from Peter King's Football Morning in America column. However, this is not just a Peter King uh, take. As you know, I I like to call him the uh, FHS, the Football Hipster Society, is all in on this Falcons offense here. And so you will hear a lot of this in the weeks ahead, maybe even on this show. We will see, but there is a I lot of I was first. I knew them before they were cool. <laughs> You'll find my Falcons 2022 <laughs> takes, baby. So there's a lot, a lot of hype around the uh, Atlanta Falcons and what this offense can look like here. Ben, I don't know if you would uh, fully agree or disagree with the there will not be a more diverse, harder to defend offense in the NFC than the Falcons, but I think you believe that the hype mm-hmm. is warranted. So what do you think about that uh, general storyline that the Falcons are about to kind of take off and be one of the better, more fun offenses in the NFL? So there's two separate claims. One of the most diverse offenses in the NFL one of the hard, or the NFC, excuse me. One of the hardest to defend offenses in the NFC. Diverse, I'm almost there, right? Like in terms of the variety of things that they do in the running game, which is really where I think like a lot of your diversity comes. Pretty much everybody does like a lot of things in the passing game, and even the teams that don't do a lot of things in the passing game do enough and do the things that they do so well that you wouldn't be like, "Oh, this is too simple." You know what I'm saying? Like, for example, the Eagles had the most simple passing game in the league last year. Was anybody like worried about that? Was anybody like, man, this passing offense is simple? Like, no, it doesn't matter. But that diversity in the running game is really, really valuable because uh, you're able to adjust what you do to the front that you get, to the, the box count that you get. You're able to change play styles against uh, heavier players and lighter players. You're able to attack a defensive tackle one week, a defensive end the next week, a corner, a safety. Like, diversity in the running game is king. I don't think the Falcons are more diverse than the Lions. They're close. Uh, but in general, the Falcons predicate themselves on having a very diverse running game. And then the passing game comes off that in the play action. The thing that the Falcons do have in terms of diversity that really I think nobody else has is like, I think we're going to see the ball be handed to Bijan Robinson and Tyler Algier and Cordero Patterson and like probably John New Smith and Kyle Pitts and Drake London, like, you know, a couple times a year. And like, in, 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 in the, the number of players that they're going to get in the backfield that are big, large, and dangerous bodies. Like that's something that I think nobody else in the league can do. Especially now that Greg Roman and the Ravens aren't doing the thing anymore. Like that's where the Falcons win in terms of diversity. And when the Falcons won last season, when they had high-scoring games, you could see that being the reason why. Like when they beat up on that Niners defense, it was just like, oh, you like pass rush, you like being fast. That sucks. We're very large, and just they did that for four quarters. So diversity, I'm there. Hardest to defend. No, because the uh, like like the Eagles just have too many good players, right? Like it'd be nice if versatility and, and, and uh, diversity was one-to-one with being difficult to defend. I think it would be extremely difficult to prepare for, but I think if you sit down and you go, we like our corner one against Drake London. 
We like our ability to pressure Jesmyn Ritter, who's a young quarterback who can be susceptible to pressure, right? He's not going to, like, destroy us with his legs or with his arm strength. You know, like, this is a headache, sure. Like, we're going to lose to the run game a little bit. Like, they're going to block us and they're going to bully us a little bit. But we got enough here to have answers. Like, yeah, sure, they're a headache on Tuesday to chart, but I don't think they're as dangerous on Sunday as opposed to, like, again, the Eagles, who, like, okay, you just can't solve the A.J. Brown plus Jalen Hurts plus Devontae Smith plus Dallas Goddard problem. Like, there's just not enough personnel to get that done. Yeah, I mean, I have a longer list than that. I mean, now Eagles, 49ers, Cowboys. Yeah, yeah. I was Lions, just using like the, the, those yeah, like yeah, Lions were and using Eagles. One as, uh, yeah, yeah, examples. Yeah, I, 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 this is kind of disappointing. I was hoping you were going to go a little bit into like, Shield, here's why you're wrong about Desmond Ritter in this Falcons offense mode. And we could have a nice, like, long argument. About, I, saw, I saw you pause before you answered the question where you were like, do I want to get into this tonight? I'm wet. I was just standing in the rain. Uh, I'm on the road in Cleveland. We have a month of content we're going to fill. Maybe we could do it on another At night. At any time. I'll just Shield, say. Shield, you call me in the yeah. middle of the night. <laughs> I pick up shield. What's okay? Emergency. And you go, Desmond Ritter is bad. I will hit you with a Desmond Ritter is good argument so fast. It'll make your head spin and I will be right. And I will be vindicated. Yeah. I, I don't disagree with like, you know, th- there, there is a outcome here where uh, everybody is right. The FHS is right. And that this is a fun Falcons offense uh, to watch. They've certainly got fun, some fun skill guys. They've got an offensive line that should be pretty good. I just feel like this is a forest from the trees type situation with this Falcons team where there is this yeah. assumption that Desmond Ritter is going to at least give you, like, I feel like there's an assumption he's going to give you like average starting quarterback play. And I just don't think that that's the most likely outcome. Like it's possible. It's possible. He could be amazing. It's possible. He could be solid. It's also very possible that he could be bad and below average. And that that's going to sink everything that the Falcons want to do. And, you know, in my opinion, that's probably the most likely outcome. I mean, you and I talked to was sometime in the off season where you were saying, well, I, I trust Arthur Smith and his op- opinion of Desmond Ritter if he wants to go with him. And Ar- Arthur Smith has been a very good schemer and play caller, no doubt about it. But I kind of go in the other direction where I'm looking at some of the breadcrumbs since he was drafted. Like even when he was drafted, they're taking a line linebacker, Troy Anderson, 16 picks ahead of him. And like, not, you know, like, oh, he'll, you know, he'll be there at 74. We, we can wait till 74. Last year, we all watched Marcus Mariota. I mean, Marcus Mariota was, was bad last year. And you could see those pictures of Arthur Smith on the sideline where he was just like, oh no, this quarterback is killing me. We can win more games if this quarterback doesn't kill me. And they wait till week 15 to go to Desmond Ritter last year. And I would even say this offseason, I mean, this offseason, they're handing the keys to Ritter. They give Taylor Heineke a two-year, $14 million deal. Like that is big time money for a backup quarterback. I mean, backup. look at how many backup quarterbacks are making $7 million per year. So I'm not convinced that they think, that Arthur Smith thinks, uh, that Ritter is going to be able to give them the quarterback play that they need. Uh, I am lower on this Falcons offense than I think uh, the consensus for sure, again, I see the upside. I think it's possible that they hit, and I'm going to be sitting here uh, giving an apology to all the hipsters in uh, like week nine. But I just feel like people have gone way overboard with what this Falcons offense is going to be. Okay, the Falcons are going to be good. If you wanted, if you wanted this, you should open <laughs> with this. I thought we were going to answer about like schematics and personnel, whatever. <laughs> no, um, the Heineke thing, to, don't even try me with the Heineke thing. Anytime you go from being a starter to being a to, to, to signing a free agency, you're going to inherently get a little bit of like extra pay, right? The Eagles are paying Marcus Mariota like $5 million per year. And we all saw how he played last year. No, you just Marcus brought that Mariota up. took a pay cut, I think. Yeah. Did Heineke not take a pay cut? I don't know what Heineke was making. I but don't like, know. I don't know what right, Heineke in general. was making. I'm not looking up Taylor. Listen, yeah. on August 7th, I'm not going on over the cap and looking up Taylor Heineke's uh, uh, salary. You, I'll tell you that. You, you just would have brought up Taylor Heineke, all right? You, I just you have, have no interest. You have to hedge the the Ritter bet because it's an he is absolutely an unknown, right? You th- like I think that I've seen Arthur Smith make this style of quarterback. Ritter was very reminiscent to me of of, of Tannehill coming out of college. I've seen him uh, make this sort of quarterback successful, and and watching Ritter play in college, I see the the tools, the toughness, the velocity, the throw over the middle of the field, the throw in a tight window, the anticipation to be good in this sort of an offense. So the fit makes sense to me. And then watching Ritter play last season, I hoped that they would get Ritter in earlier because I wanted him to get up to speed and I wanted them to push for the division last year. Because I was like last year I was on Falcons are going to be good train. They put him in a week 15 
He spends four weeks getting his sea legs under him. His last film in week 18 is like, all right, this guy's starting to get it. He's getting up to NFL speed. He's hitting windows on time. He's hitting plays on time. And it's too late. You've already fallen out of the division. This team was leading the division at the halfway point with Marcus Mariota. Like one of the one of the main reasons I'm a Falcons is good guy for 2023 has nothing to do with Desmond Ritter. It's how good this team was when there was no Desmond Ritter. It's how this team was like a 500 team with Marcus Mariota all year. So even if Ritter is Mariota, which I would argue most of his outcomes are better than Mariota, this is still a 500 I team. I disagree with that. Dude, Mariota last year could not play. What are we talking about? I agree. But de- guys who are drafted where Desmond Ritter is drafted rarely are even competent starters in the NFL. I mean, I was looking this up. Marcus Mariota last year. So he had a drop back success rate of 45.6%. That's middle of the road, a little below average. How many quarterbacks drafted in the third round or later in the last 15 years have had a drop back success rate as high as Mariota did last year? There's five. Dak, uh, Russ, Cousins, Dak, Russell I was, Wilson. I was going to get oh, them sorry, all, but guessing. you can go. Okay. Jacoby Brissett and Nick Foles. Like, those are, I wasn't those are get that's Foles. the last 15 years. Yeah, well, that was the, it, that's for one season, that, that uh, season. And so it's just, again, that just goes back to my point. I feel like we're overrating what the most likely outcome is for someone with Desmond Ritter's pedigree. Maybe I'm going overboard and it doesn't matter that much where he was drafted. Again, he could be good. Even when you were like, Ryan Tan, I feel like that's Ryan Tannehill disrespect. Shield was trying to discredit Desmond Ritter and say that Ryan Tannehill was like too high ceiling of a comp or something ridiculous. I wasn't really paying attention. And he was summarily cut off by his own internet, which Comcast or AT&T, I don't play favorites, whomever Shield's internet ISP is, internet ISP is redundant, they know that Desmond Ritter will be good and that the Falcons will be good. Keep it in the pod. All right, I'm back. I take back all of my Falcons takes uh, for those who were not. I mean, what just happened? I'm I'm bad-mouthing Desmond Ritter in that offense. All of a sudden, the storms come down in suburban Pennsylvania, uh, suburban Philadelphia, and we lose power in the Capadia household for about two minutes. I take it back. Desmond Ritter, all pro season. Arthur Smith, Vince Lombardi, Falcons, 14-3. and Is that where we left off, Ben? Yeah, you see, you think you thought it was the the hipster football. It's really just like the 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 football priests and priestesses, the high priestess, the the dryads, the controllers of the weather. Um, yeah, I was worried about storms because it's still raining here. But looking, lo and behold, it's Pennsylvania. We should have been worried about. There you go. So, all right. That was uh, I a feeling we're going to talk more about the Falcons uh, and that NFC South in the weeks ahead. But I think we're obviously on opposite sides uh, with that offense and with that team. Let's take a quick break. We'll get back to some more training camp storyline. FanDuel has some electrifying news. Get ready to play the hottest phone game of the season with NFL legend Rob Gronkowski. Introducing Gronk Spike Cornhole, the thrilling cornhole game that lets you play a fun twist on cornhole against Gronk himself. In Gronk Spike Cornhole, the goal is simple. Score as many points as you can by strategically sinking your bags, knocking Gronk's bags off the board, and creating epic combos to dominate the competition. Gronk Spike Cornhole is available on FaceOff, the FanDuel skill gaming app on iPhone and Android. Compete in all your favorite games against real people for real cash on FanDuel FaceOff. There are a wide variety of games, including the classic favorites like Wheel of Fortune, Atari Breakout Blitz, Boggle, alongside the all-new Gronk Spike Cornhole. On FanDuel Faceoff, contests are action-packed and last between two and five minutes, so you can play for cash during commercial breaks, waiting in line at the grocery store, over a cup of coffee, or whenever works for your schedule. No interruptions, no annoying ads, just pure gaming excitement. Are you ready to compete against Gronk, run up the score, and take home the crown in Gronk Spike Cornhole? Download FanDuel Faceoff now in the Apple App Store or at FanDuel.com slash Faceoff for Android users. Age and location restrictions apply. Void where prohibited. See FanDuel.com slash Faceoff dash terms for terms and conditions. Get in the game today and play Gronk Spike Cornhole on FanDuel Faceoff. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. There's no better feeling than a personal win and the State Farm personal price plan can help you do just that. 
Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash RingerNFL. Just go to Indeed.com slash RingerNFL right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, we're back on Extra Point Taken. The rain is fine. I feel like the rain let up a little bit once I, you know, move past uh, the Desmond Ritter takes. Let's see if uh, Todd Munkin or anyone there in Baltimore has the same powers. Here's storyline number three, Ben. This could be a transition year for the Ravens' mm-hmm. offense. Uh, this is from a story from the Athletics' Jeffs Rebeck. My friend does a tremendous job uh, covering the Ravens. Now, he didn't say that specific thing, but he had some great practice notes on kind of what's going on with that Ravens offense and some of the struggles they've been going through at practice. There was a practice a couple days ago. Lamar Jackson was so frustrated. He punted a football. He tossed his helmet. Mark Andrews thought he should have got a a DPI call. It was so intense. The offense, he flipped the bird to a referee at training camp. Who does that? I love that. (laughs) I love that energy. That's a good sign. They they had refs out here at Brown's practice for like it was the second day that since they had refs my first day out here and like in the first team period there was like six plays or they the up through five flags and Stefanski went and talked to him and I was like that's right get rep it out Kevin get ready for the season let him know there you go so Mark Andrews was was in uh, midseason form asking for flags uh, according to Zrebeck the Ravens offense has struggled to generate big plays downfield now they haven't been practicing with J.K. Dobbins. Or with Rashad Bateman, uh, Todd Munkin, the new offensive coordinator, said, we're not really good right now. We have a long way to go. So my question to you, Ben, is I think a lot of people, myself included, yourself included, looked at this offseason for the Ravens and thought, okay, they upgraded the wide receivers. Ooh, they're replacing Greg Roman with Todd Munkin. That's going to be a more exciting passing game. Did we all kind of overrate how quickly this transition was going to happen? Is there a chance that when you have this much turnover with scheme and what you want to do, that there are going to be legit growing pains that might not sink the Ravens season, but might have a significant mm-hmm. uh, impact on kind of what their expectations might be? No, I I, I am 100% on board with your read there where like, this is going to take some time. Whenever I've talked about Baltimore, like I've, I've made it very clear. I think that this move from Greg Roman was so important. I think the move to Todd Monken is great. I think that th- there was such a huge challenge when you were moving from one offense to the other to like retool the wide receiver room and to walk out of year one of that retooling process with Zay Flowers and Odell Beckham Jr. I think is a huge win, right? I think that you you have a good chance to get a high impact player out of out of that that gamble, like that duo. You have the chance to get a high impact player plus, right? Like really overachieve. You still have the Rashad Bateman dart throw, like which I think Rashad's such a talented player. He's just struggling to stay healthy, but when he's on the field, he's been so good. I'm impressed with how they've redone that wide receiver room defensively you saw the great growth over the course of last season they really settled to a nice place by the end of the year Kyle Hamilton came out with a great role they get Roquan Smith at the trade deadline man the Ravens look great but like and like I I have so much hype for them I have so much excitement for them Lamar extension MVP season but this is just hard it's so hard right it, it is so 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 challenging to get a new offense off the ground in year one, independent of the amount of talent you have. And the Ravens are even operating from a little bit of a talent deficiency because they had to retool wide receiver. That's why when like things like the Mike McDaniel Dolphins happen as they did last season, everybody's like, whoa, like that's crazy. They just walk out and just doing it. Like it's so hard. Lower practice times, less time in training camp, less active preseason, less starters in the preseason, less pads, less hitting. It's so hard to really transition things in year one. The Chargers and, and the Cowboys, we already brought up. Uh, the Ravens, uh, the, the Browns, which I've obviously been here at Browns camp, and we're going to talk about the Browns for a little bit. Uh, uh, Browns moving to a more like spread offense with Deshaun Watson. Like So many of these teams, you're just going to look at them in September and go like, okay, you're 2-2. Two and two. This hasn't been pretty. This hasn't been perfect. 
what's working, what's not working, who can who can figure out where to put the dials, what switches to flick on, what switches to leave off, like the exact way this offense looks, who's going to be able to figure this out over that first month of the season and then actually pick up momentum October, November, be really good in December. I still have a lot of faith in the Ravens. I still think the Ravens can win the division. They have to get lucky on a few of those things to do so, but they're a very high ceiling team. It's a matter of, okay, when 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 pads are on a hit and is live in September, how quickly are you going to be able to make these transitions? How quickly are you going to be able to problem solve, right? The problems that you encounter in this offense are going to be the first time you've ever encountered them, right? Like they're going to, you're going to start using Zay Flowers a certain way and then maybe realize mid-October, oh, we should use them differently. Same thing is true of Odell. Like all the problems are going to be new, right? So it's just so much uncertainty. There's so much pitfalls and booby traps and just like things to figure out, which is such a cool thing to see from the outside. It's like, very exciting and very interesting. But in terms of win-loss, like, yeah, you might hit week six, week seven, and be like, shoot, like, we're still around 500. We have a tough slate coming up. We didn't get this plane off the ground fast enough. Yeah, I, I generally agree with that. I, I think this is a team that actually they can win games, even if the offense isn't, you know, hitting yes, on all cylinders. Yes, which is big. Through the first half of the season with their defense, with their special teams. And if Jackson's on the field, like, his legs just set such a high floor. Like, they're not just taking his legs you know, out of the equation. They want to fix the passing game, but the way he runs the football where, you know, maybe will go down as the most dynamic running quarterback uh, in NFL history, that should set a certain floor for you. But I also do buy that this transition is going to be tricky. And like, if I were like Greg Roman's, you know, uh, college buddies or siblings or whatever, I'd be like, ah, you know, okay, let's see how this goes. You know, this, when I, he could easily make the case when I had Lamar Jackson on the field, even in the last three years. So this isn't even counting his MVP year. When Lamar Jackson's been on the field, the Ravens offense has performed like the sixth best offense in the NFL, uh, in terms of EPA per play. Now, a lot of that is Jackson is a dynamic player who can make something so out good. of nothing and put an offense uh, on his back at times. And we all saw that. Our eyes didn't lie to us. But at the same time, you know, in the building, they were playing a certain way. Like if John Harbaugh, John Harbaugh obviously wasn't convinced a year ago that they needed to make some type of dynamic change or he would have made a dynamic change with the coaching staff or with the offense. So, uh, you know, I, I think there, there's going to definitely be some growing pains, even with the wide receivers like a month ago, I'm like, oh my gosh, easily best you know wide receiver group Lamar Jackson's ever played with. And now I'm kind of like, well, Rashad Bateman's still not on the field. Odell Beckham Jr. turns 31. I still like him, but he turns 31. Zay Flowers, you know, rookie wide receivers can kind of kind of be hit or miss. So there's just so much variance to this group. I think if you're a Ravens fan, you say, hey, let's get through like September, maybe October in the mix. Our defense and special right. teams carrying us a little bit, and they're a team that you want like. Thanksgiving after Thanksgiving to put together that stretch where all of a sudden the end of December, all oh, this yeah. the team nobody wants to play. Look at this offense has figured it out. They're on fire. Lamar Jackson is healthy. I sort of feel like that is probably the, I don't know if I want to say best case scenario, but like realistic, good scenario yeah. if you're a Ravens fan. I don't think it's best case. Like I think there's a way they they walk out in the field and they I agree. just are sick on offense. Yeah. And the reason I believe that is because I'll scream it from the mountaintop so I die. Lamar's like a really good thrower, right? So there's a chance that a really good thrower gets to throw the ball a lot in an offense with a couple of good receivers in it. And all of a sudden yeah. the Ravens offense is just good. He's because awesome. That very simple mathematic right there. Um, but in general, yeah, there's going to be a ramp up. And honestly, that's one of the reasons why I really like Lamar for MVP. It's a, it's a, it's a ticket that I bought earlier in the season is because we typically see that the guy who was leading the MVP race in week seven does not win it in week 18, right? Like it, it's a narrative award. And so the uh, late pushes can be a, a, a valuable part of the, uh, a valuable part of the voting process. And so I like I, I, I still have a lot of faith in the Ravens. It's just we don't want to be pressing big red buttons and alarm bells week three, week four, if if they're still figuring out exactly what they are. The final factor in this that, that I forgot to bring up, but is still critical is ain't no JK Dobbins at camp right now. And it's not like JK is like a like a high tier, like like tier A running back, like they're missing like a Jonathan Taylor or Josh Jacobs, but he's still the best back they got. And when as you move away from the Greg Roman offense, the back that you have back there becomes more important, like the talent he has. Because it's just, there's going to be less like, and two defenders chased Lamar Jackson away on the option. And that like simplifies things for your running back. And the, the talent at back matters a little bit more and they have no J.K. Dobbins. And uh, I, I, love, I love Todd Monken. He's a funny guy. He's just an old crotchety coach. He's a great, great, um, yeah. great, great thing Honest. to be. And he got asked a couple of days ago, like, how long will it take J.K. Dobbins to, like, ramp up and get up to speed when he gets out here? And Todd was like, 
I don't know because he's not out here. <laughs> like, <laughs> how long will it take for him to get up to speed? There's no way of knowing. We have no idea where he is. Like, we don't even know what speed he's currently at, which is um, <laughs> a good way of, of, of emphasizing, like, this team might be, for the first few weeks of the season, handing the ball off to Gus Edwards slash Melvin Gordon slash J.K. Dobbins still trying to learn the playbook. And so, like, you, there's another just opportunity for a few weeks of chaos to kind of slow the Ravens start out of the gate. And then they pick up steam as the season goes on. Yeah. The running back with Lamar, like you're in a very, you're going to be in a very friendly environment. Uh, especially I think their offensive line, I think is really good. So good offensive line, uh, running a quarterback who can run and be a threat in the run game. It's a good spot to be, but I think the back there can kind of, you want him to be just like an elevator, like an explosive turning, you know, a 12 yard gain into a 40 yard gain, that type of back. And I think JK Dobbins has that in him to be that kind of back when he's healthy. So uh, I would agree with that for sure. All right. Number four, this is from a uh, young up and coming football mind. I would describe him. Okay. I believe the Tell name more. is the B- Benjamin. The I think this is a guy Benjamin Solak. I think Solak is it pronounced wears, Solak? As every single person who's ever brought me on the wears, radio thinks it is. I think that's the guy who puts his like thermostat at sixty degrees. The and one who tweeted out lines when August. he thought he had news to break. Yeah, that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the guy. Uh, he says. The offense plans on throwing a lot of passes. He was at Lions camp, by the way. The Lions offense plans on throwing a lot of passes to Sam Laporta, and he caught everything in his vicinity. So I guess the storyline would be Sam Laporta, the Lions rookie tight end, is going to be a monster in his rookie season. Because now I'm not. I'm, I don't know if that's exactly what Solak meant, but you know I'm, I'm going to make that leap a little bit because listen that Lions offense you look at it there's a lot to like you like the offensive line you like how Jared Goff played last year you like Ben Johnson you like Amon Ross St. Brown however I do look at it and I go all right who else is going to catch passes uh for this group so I don't know if you're familiar with this uh Solak's work but uh what do you think about Laporta and uh yeah. just speaking candidly I thought this would be a, a way for you to fire off some takes uh about the Lions and well, we can I think, talk right. about them as well I think like I tweeted about Laporta because that's the exciting thing in August. It's fantasy football draft time. It's who, how are the rookies looking time? And really like Goff won't stop throwing the ball to Laporta and Laporta is catching everything. And it's cool. It is cool to see. But the lead that's buried there is that right now, if you made me guess the Lions top three target getters based off of watching three days of practice and hearing how the offensive coordinator and the offensive staff talks about the offense. During the six weeks in which Jamison Williams is out, I would guess one is Amon Ross St. Brown, which is not a surprise and is good. That's great. That's the way it should be. I would guess two is the second round rookie tight end out of Iowa, Sam Laporta. And I would guess three is Alabama running back Jameer Gibbs, which just as an offense in general, Hmm. you do not want your three primary targets to go wide receiver, tight end, running back. You generally would like that to go like wide receiver, wide receiver, tight end slash wide receiver, kind of depending on how you built it. If you are going to go wide receiver slash tight end slash running back, you'd like to be the Niners where you know that George Kittle is what he is and you know Christian McCaffrey is what he is, right? Like you, uh, there's some certainty, right? As opposed to Laporta and Gibbs in which you think you've got some talented players and you think you're going to be able to use them at the NFL at a high level, but there's a lot of projection there. The Lions entering the 2022 season didn't really 100% know what they were going to be on offense just yet. It was the first year of Ben Johnson, but they knew they wanted to improve the depth in the wide receiver room, and they wanted to elevate the talent there as well. And so they spent that top 10 pick on Jamison, or excuse me, top 12 pick on Jamison Williams, up for whom they traded, right? They moved up from 32 to 12 in a move that like a lot of people were ready for to go and get that guy, right? Jamison obviously missed a lot of the rookie season with the injury, as was expected, but now to miss these these six games on a, on a gambling suspension puts a little bit more uncertainty in that. Jameson's also at a tough camp. Uh, he's had a lot of drops. He's had some mistakes. And and uh, Dan Campbell gave a quote where he was like, yeah, you know, he's never going to be an elite catcher. He's just got to continue to work. And it was kind of one of those things where, like you would tell Dan Campbell's just talking. Like Dan's just like thinking about football players and like where their skills are and where their skills are and how he's going to use them. But but like in the in the room, it wasn't like, oh yeah, Dan's just like, you know, he's an elite speed guy. He's not an elite hands guy. Like I'm just thinking about my player. In the room, it was Dan just said that Jameson Williams is never going to be good at catching the football. And that was the headline. And like Brad Holmes had to get on the radio and like clarify it and everything. But there's no doubt that Jameson's having a rough camp is going to miss the first six weeks. And so the Lions right now are in a weird spot where like 
This was a top five offense by EPA last year. This like Jared Goff looks as talented, as good as he's ever looked. Like Ben Johnson as a great OC. I got a piece on Ben coming out later this week. Like there are a lot of incredibly good offensive vibes right now in Detroit. The elephant in the room is that their second receiver is either Josh Reynolds or Marvin Jones. Their third receiver is Khalif Raymond. Like Amon Ra doesn't even need to like like actually miss time with an injury. If he just like needs someone to retie his shoelaces, the Lions are not really moving the football through the air until he gets back on the field. And that's a really scary and fragile place for what we expect to be a really high-powered offense to be. And so it's great that Laporta looks good. It's great that Gibbs looks good. But Detroit's got a wide receiver problem. And they did a great job painting around it in year one. But that's a really hard thing to sustain. And I don't think they want to be in that spot where they're sustaining it. So we'll see how well this passing game can work when it run, runs through a slot receiver and two rookies, but neither of whom play receiver. It's a weird spot to be. Yeah, wide receiver too. You mentioned Marvin Jones, Josh Reynolds, Khalif Raymond last year had over 600 yards. He's still uh, Here's the thing there, about Khalif. So- Let me tell you something about Khalif real quick. Yeah, I really okay. like him. I like him so much. Yeah. He's such a good... The numbers are kind of good on Khalif. He was 24th in yards per out run last year out of 107 wide receivers. Right. I love him. He's an extremely hard worker. He's tough. The Lions, by like the second half of the year, on third down, defenses would put like nine dudes on Amon Ra because you got to. He's unbelievable moving the sticks. And the Lions would just use Amon Ra's bait and they would... Khalif was like their stick mover, right? Khalif was like the, the guy to trust on third and six in a tough spot. Really cool to see for a player who's bouncing around on practice squads. But it's, it's, it's always that thing where like once a guy who's bouncing around on practice squads finds a huge role in your offense, you got to ask, okay, how much of it was him? Which a good portion of it was. Khalif, like I said, is a hard worker. He's got talent. And how much of it is just the reality of my offense, right? It's like Isaiah Hodgins with the Giants last year. Like, why, like why did Isaiah Hodgins b- break out with New York when he couldn't break out in Buffalo? Some of it has to do with Isaiah Hodgins. Some of it has to do with the wide receiver room in New York, right? Like there's, always, there's, that, there's that availability aspect of it. Yeah, it's a big question for them. Like I come back to it and say, well, they didn't, it's not like that great talent last year and they figured it out and made it work, but it doesn't necessarily mean it's going to work again. So I'm having trouble, honestly, with my sort of, what do I think the Lions are going to do in 2023 takes, which again, we'll do a bunch of predictions here in the weeks ahead. But uh, I like the offensive coordinator, Ben Johnson, the offensive line's going to be healthier. I like them. They made it work last year with the pieces they had. And then I'm looking at it going, Ooh, if I just like looked at the talent here on paper, it's not in the same class as some of the top offenses in the NFL, yet it performed that way last year. Uh, just one thing on the Porta and all rookie tight ends, like it's just hard. It's really yeah. hard for rookie tight ends to put up any kind of numbers. Yeah, I really feel like a wet blanket on this episode, by the way. Do, am I always a wet blanket? or is that, Shield, wow. I feel I like I'm it. just telling you why no team's going to be... Uh, all right, I'm always a wet blanket. That's what I, you're going to tell me? I feel like I a wet like blanket on it, this episode we is an incredible a- line. In this particular context, <laughs> for the first time ever. So you're saying... Remember I when I was like, I like Todd Monken so much because he's a crotchety old man? Yeah, why do you think you and I are pals? Listen, I think that uh, as we should do a whole show where this thing she'll likes. Maybe we'll do that. Here are six things that she actually that's a, likes. That's a great. You know? That's a great like comeback from commercial bit where it's like, hey, I'm begging for those ads. <laughs> I'm back. Sheila and Ben. By the way, I'm a fan of pizza and pop music. Just like establishing that there's like a couple of things that you're cool with. Um, but but the 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 rookie tight end point is well taken. And one thing I'd I'd say of Laporta, uh, moves great out there. Caught everything in his vicinity. Looks awesome. He's small. Like he's small for a tight end. Like he is listed like 6'3, 245. He is not a big tight end. These Lions tight ends are used to be big, right? Like they put James Mitchell out there, Shane Zilstra, who got hurt, Brock Wright. These are big dudes. And they ask these guys to block. And so, like, when Laporta's out there, I think he's gonna get thrown the ball a lot. There's a world in which they stick Laporta out there a lot in the early weeks of the season. And then they start to see some numbers of the running game when he's out there versus when James Mitchell and Brock Wright are out there, and they go, uh oh, we might this might need to be a little bit more of a package deal. Uh Laporta puts a lot of effort into blocking them. He's from Iowa. So he like he he's he's good. It's just like he's got size limitations and that might affect his snap counts. Last 10 years, 27 tight ends taken in the first two rounds. What do you think their average production is as rookies? T- uh, so 27 last, last 10 last 10 okay. years, 27 tight ends taken in the first two rounds. I ha- I have the the average and I have the median. So whichever one you want to give me of total uh, receiving yardage. Yeah, you ca- I have yeah. catches, receiving yards, and touchdowns. So if you want to give me 36 all of them, 36 catches for 400 receiving yards and 3.5 touchdowns. Pretty good. 
pretty the median is actually 36 catches on the dot so that's a Come nice on, job out of you you know me you know uh, me just better figuring out medians tw- now you had a little bit you were a little too high on the yards per reception though though yeah, I was, uh, yeah, av- oh yeah tight end depth the target's shallow yeah yeah so the median season was actually Irv Smith, 36 catches for 311 yards and two touchdowns. That's the median season. Again, average production is 29 catches for 339 and 2.6 touchdowns. Only three tight ends in that group. One in nine, three out of 27, one in nine, about 11%, had even 500 receiving yards as rookies. That was Kyle Pitts, Evan Ingram, and Noah Fan. So uh, this isn't just a um, Sam Laporta. Uh, I, I was going to say tweet. Uh, Sam Laporta uh, settle down. Uh, take from me. This applies to the Bills and Dalton Kincaid and the Raiders and Michael Mayer and the Packers and Luke Musgrave and the Cowboys and Luke Schoon, Schoonmaker. Did I pronounce that right? Schoonmaker? Yeah, Schoonmaker. Uh, it's just hard. It's just hard for rookie tight ends. It doesn't mean none of them are going to pop. One of them could pop. Two of them could pop. Three of them could pop. But if we just look at it historically, it's a tough position to come in and really be a good pass catching threat right away. All right, let's take one quick break. We'll get to uh, a couple more narratives and then the extra point taken. This episode is brought to you by Modelo. What does a true fan look like? It's cheering the loudest. It's never missing a game, no matter what. And for that, you deserve an ice cold reward because you are a fighter and Modelo is your reward. Modelo, the mark of a fighter. Shop delivery or pickup options near you at ordermodello.com. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Imports, Chicago, Illinois. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. All right, we are back on Extra Point Taken. Number five, Geno Smith will be even better in 2023. I got to say, this is another one I'm really uh, struggling with. I have to, I, I'm not going to fence it for all of August. I will have a firm take on some of these, but these are the ones I'm struggling with. Maybe that's why I put them on the list. This is from The Athletic's Michael Sean Dugar, another uh, great reporter. And uh, my friend out there in Seattle does a tremendous job. Uh, he had this story with DK Metcalf, Pete Carroll, all talking about kind of what's different with Geno this summer. And DK Metcalf says the reins loosened up on Gino. He's not worried about being perfect out there. He can go out there and play freely. Gino is throwing apparently more interceptions in practice, taking more chances, Hell yeah. being more aggressive, being more aggressive. Now I always thought it was funny. Cause like Pete Carroll has a way of explaining things where you're like, Oh yeah, that makes sense. And then like, like I, when I was in Seattle, then I would go back to my computer and be like, wait, wait, what, what did he say? How do I, so like, he's always like, I want my quarterbacks to uh, hit explosive plays downfield and not turn the ball over. It's like, yeah, every coach wants that. That's a hard (laughs) needle to thread, Pete. Uh, But Russell Wilson did it for a long time, and that's obviously what he wants from Geno Smith. Like Pete Carroll, even when he was run heavy, he didn't want a dink and dunk passing game ever. He was like, if we can hit bombs downfield, I want to hit bombs downfield. That has always been uh, his mentality. So Geno here, uh, age 33 in October, was very good last year, has another pass-catching weapon in Jackson Smith and Jigba. Where are you on the idea that Geno Smith might play a little more loose this year and that will be a good thing mm-hmm. and he'll be better in 2023 than he was in 2022? First thing, I would say the number one way to describe me as a quarterback is that I create explosive plays downfield without turning the ball over. That's just my okay. style of play. Other guys, different way. Nice that's job how I, by that's you. how I run it. Uh, absolutely, Geno's going to be more loose in camp this year. Um, camp interceptions are great like or bad. I don't know. They're not real. Whenever it's like, there have been picks like, OK, in the in the Ravens case where like they threw nine picks in one practice, that's a little bit like, OK, what's going on? But generally training camp picks or whatever, you know, what I'm saying you're, you're testing windows. You're trying to learn like the timing of things and you're trying to give receivers chances like it's not real. It's practice. You're allowed to try. Also, stuff. Yeah, I'll say this. Let me know if you agree with this as a training camp observer. Nothing grinds my gears more than the quarterback who will not throw the football in team drills and takes off and scrambles. When you you cannot get hit, you're not giving any of your teammates work. 
everyone hates this. Why are you doing this? Yes, this is a Marcus Mariota subtweet. All right, continue, Ben Sola. I got, I, I, have, I have two phrases. One, grip it. Two, rip it. This is training camp, baby. Here we go. Let's do the thing. I couldn't agree more. I should have a ball on the sideline where if you don't throw it, I get to throw the ball at you. Then that's the deal. And I throw downfield and I don't turn the ball over. So you know, that, that's, you know, what I'm dealing with. Um, in general, I think that like the Seahawks offense works. They have great weapons and Gino is a well-developed and mature quarterback. Like he, he, he knows where his bread is buttered. He knows how to, he's very, very good from the gun. He's very good from empty and check and he'll take his one-on-ones. Like, I remember that that do that Saints game in terms of like throwing down the field, but like doing it judiciously and in the right moments and hitting the windows. Like he's got the goods in, in these regards. Gino's always going to be a high interception quarterback. Like I always like to think of the uh, Adam Harstad of, of I think it's fantasy life has the three stools of quarterback, the three legged stool of quarterbacking play. You're either like are a high interceptions guy, a high sack guy or a high throwaway slash low a dot guy like you. you you're gonna something about you is gonna be bad, like I said at the beginning of the show, right? Like all quarterbacking is either good or bad. You have to like you you have to have some aggressiveness somewhere. It's either like you hold onto the ball for a long time and try to make plays, where you touch windows downfield and you throw a lot of picks. Like there's 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 always gonna be an an aspect of your play that's more stylistic than anything else. And Gino's always gonna be like a high interception attack windows guy. Last year, learning a new offense, fighting for Drew Locke for the starting job. You're probably trying to keep the 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 horse on the reins a little bit, trying to keep everything in check. This year, off a nice extension, feeling like a, like a playoff team. You're smelling, you're, you're uh, taking a whiff a little bit, right? Right? You're feeling yourself a little bit. You're not going to care as much about what you do in training camp. I don't think it means Geno's going to be any better or any worse this upcoming year. Like that's a very hard target to hit. I agree. That's a hard thing to figure out now in August. It just means that Geno's playing. Geno's shooting. Geno's doing the thing in training camp that he should be doing as a starting quarterback, throwing the ball around the yard. Yeah, it's, I agree with you for training camp. When I look at the season, it's just I, you can make the case both ways that one, hey, Geno Smith has only only did it for one year. He turns 33 in October. I don't know if you like the turnover-worthy plays metric from Pro Football Focus, but they try to put into like, mm-hmm. hey, these were dropped interceptions. He ranked 28th out of 35 quarterbacks in that last year, so you can make the case, hey, he got did get a little lucky last year. And then you can make the case that you just did, that hey, he was fighting for a job last summer. He was playing with two rookie tackles who are now in their second year. Oh, by the way, they added Jackson Smith and Jigba to a group that already includes DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett. Like, Geno Smith's going to be just fine. So uh, it's a tough one. It really could go either way. He throws a beautiful deep ball. So the more he can throw the ball downfield, uh, the better, especially with those weapons. They're going to get some really favorable matchups but uh continue to wonder what kind of season we're going to get from geno smith all right Mm -hmm. number six we switched this one up benny souls you have a number six for us i don't even know what the narrative or the storyline is going to be so you hit me with this one uh for our last one and then we will get to your extra point taken yeah so uh good old greg rosenthal of nfl network greg with two g's i put together his like training 60 percent g yeah 60 percent g greg over there uh, put together his like a, just a, basically a huge training camp notebook of like I've been reading all the reports from the beat writers and, like these are the things that are standing out to me and there was a uh, a note that he had that I did not hear because I did not have the volume on the broadcast of the Hall of Fame game that I thought was really interesting. Um, uh, Greg said I found Chris Collinsworth's words on Deshaun Watson during the Hall of Fame game eye opening and here's the quote: "It's going to be paramount on Watson to be patient. I'm not sure the Cleveland Browns can make." as bold a jump as what he probably would like to see. Spread offenses, let me take advantage of my ability to run and make plays all over the field. Do I see Cleveland doing that? Maybe, but it's a pretty big leap for them. Collinsworth continued, uh, if it does work, the Browns could be a factor. If they get out there and there's a decision whether to run it or throw it, yeah, we want to do this. We paid Deshaun all this money. We paid the receivers all this money, but what we do best is run the football. That's when it starts to get uncomfortable. The number one thing that you notice out here at Browns camp last two days is there's a lot of receivers here. They didn't have this many receivers a couple years ago with Kevin Stefanski. They had a lot of tight ends. <laughs> we were we were going under center. We were playing 13 personnel. We were blocking. You got out here Amari Cooper, Donovan Peoples-Jones, Elijah Moore, David Bell, Cedric Tillman, Marquise Goodwin, Jakeem Grant, Jalen Darden. You got everybody. There's, there are so many receivers at this camp. And when they line up and run team, they're in the gun. They're in 11 personnel, right? Nick Chubb's been getting questions all month long about like, hey, What's different about running from the gun versus running under center? Because it is it is different. Hmm. Now, uh, Chubb's numbers as a runner, if you go and you look like last year, like it's like, oh, 4.2, 4.5 yards per carry from uh, under center. 
six yards per carry from the gun. It looks great, but it's a really small sample size. And in general, Chubb was running well from the gun because defenses would see them under center and be like, run, Chubb's going to kill us. This is terrifying. And then they'd go uh, uh, to shotgun and the defense would breathe a sigh of relief and be like, oh, thank God. They're not doing that. <laughs> Multiple tight ends and they're running and they're pulling outside zone and Chubb and everything. And they would take guys out of the box and you could sneak up on them with a, with a gun run. But in general, we see that under center runs are more effective. And so by lining up and being on 11 personnel team, three receivers, by choosing to bring all these wide receiver bodies in, and critically, like there's no like Alan Lazard in this group. There's no Robert Woods in this group. Like, oh, it's quasi 12 personnel and he can block. Like maybe that's David Bell. He is a good blocker, but Bell's not a super great receiver right now. And so like, I don't know if you want him on the field over Elijah Moore and over Marquise Goodwin. It's tricky, right? So when you have all these receivers and you're going shotgun, you are making it harder on Chubb to run the football. Both he and like the running backs coach and the and Stefanski, they're all trying to claim like, oh no, it's fine. It's just the same. But it isn't. It's more challenging when, when you're living out of shotgun and you're putting a lot of chips in on the Deshaun Watson table and saying, we're going to spread and shred. We're going to be a pass heavy team, which is just not what the Browns have been previously under Stefanski and with Nick Chubb in the room. Uh, so it's a similar conversation to the one we have with the Ravens. It's less dramatic because the offensive coordinator didn't change, but the offensive philosophy absolutely is changing in Cleveland, where they're going to throw the football more and throw it more from the spread and try to fit this around Deshaun Watson's skill set. And I thought, I think Hallsworth makes a great point. They're going to have to be patient and acknowledge that this isn't going to be neat. There's going to be times where it's going to really, really feel like they have to go back to honor center, multiple tight ends, hand the ball off to Nick Chubb. And I won't, you, I, you don't know if they should do that or if they should try to like endure those temptations and, and, and really get this plane off the ground, get the ship sailing in this new look offense. And so Cleveland quietly, less so than like the Chargers with Kellen Moore and the Ravens with Todd Monken, they are still undergoing an offensive evolution of their own that I think it's important to highlight. And as we talked about on our last episode at the end of last week, there's more pressure. They don't have the Ravens timeline of, hey, let's get some let start feeling good about ourselves in November. And then, Hey, if we, you know, make the playoffs, but don't make a run, we'll feel good going into the next season. Like it has to work this year. And it's, and, and if you're the coach, Kevin Stefanski, I mean, I remember uh, interviewing him a couple of years ago at Brown's camp about his offensive philosophy and the entire base was how to marry the run in the pass game. Like that was, that's at the core of what Kevin Stefanski believes about offensive football. And that's different than what Deshaun Watson excelled in. Uh, when he was with Houston. And so if you're Stefanski, it's like your job with a Baker Mayfield or Jacoby Brissett, where you're trying to put them in position to succeed and maximize their talents is different than your job with Deshaun Watson, who wants to play a certain way. And as we said, is the most powerful person in the organization uh, other than the owner. So yeah, he's in a tough spot there. It's what we said with the Cowboys. Sometimes when you're trying to mix two things, it works really well and you end up with something great. Other times you do it and there are these battles and there's going to be egos. And Deshaun Watson obviously wants to uh, prove that he's still one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL after the way last season went. And he hasn't been on the field as a great quarterback in what, three years once we get to week one. So yeah, that offense is certainly going to be an interesting one to watch. All right, Benjamin, hit us with your extra point taken as we close out the show. What do you got? All training camp. This has been a training camps reports podcast, right? Been about hey, fact or fiction? Gino is going to be better throwing more picks. Fact or fiction? Lions passing game. Fact or fiction? Ravens transition year. Fact or fiction? Whatever the first one we did was Falcon stuff. I can't remember. We should have framed it fact or fiction, Ben, or buy or sell. No one's ever done that before on like a uh, TV segment or a radio crazy. show or a podcast. Yeah. Right. Now throw out all of this judicious uh ju- judgment that's redundant all this the shrewd and, and balanced and shield sitting on on fences and being a wet blanket toss it all out of the window for our seventh training camp report and the extra point taken anthony richardson stacking practices baby anthony richardson's looking real solid in indianapolis every report i read out of colt's training camp it's taking all the first team reps we ain't doing no gardner Minshew. like down in houston they're like oh Oh, and CJ Stroud or Davis Mills, who could it be? It's Davis Mills, right? I don't even know who the back of is. Oh, CJ Stroud's got to earn the first team reps. Crazy. None of that in Indy. Anthony Richardson's getting every first team rep. Every every report you hear at a practice, Richardson had a mistake here and a procedural penalty and missed one. But oh, baby, he ripped a couple. Oh, baby, when he moves. Oh, the velocity. Alec Pierce says it's different. Zaire Franklin says he's getting better every single week. Shane Steichen says it's incredible how quickly he's learning the offense. I, dude, how cool would it be if Richardson was just good? 
if he was just great right away. How sick. It'd be obnoxious. It'd be so annoying that the Colts went for five years screwing around a quarterback and got rewarded with this. That would bother me. But other than that, how cool would it be if Anthony Richardson's just straight good? Awesome training camp reports out of Indy. I'm going there next week. I'm so excited to see him play. All right, well, we'll definitely touch on it more. It will be a lot of fun. I mean, his, I, I think I said this going back to draft season. Like, if you just watch a highlight, uh, his, his 25 best plays, you're like, holy cow, this is a special uh, player. I think he's got a real chance. Do I, do, do I need to end the show on a wet blanket thing, or should I just shut up? Shield, when we shield, 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 shield. I me. just said no wet I'm always. No wet blankets. Okay. All right. We'll talk about the Colts on it. I'm just saying, when you're when you're expecting it, you're not expecting. But you I can't help myself. Can't he's 21 years old. Yourself. He's had 13 college starts. He completed 54% of his passes last year. Technically, usually Shield. doesn't get easier Shield. when you get to the NFL. And would any of this have to do with the fact that the Colts have the worst quarterback group potentially in the entire NFL? All right. That has been... Action. <laughs> my analysis on your analysis. My response is just a long, ben, impassioned. I am old. I am not capable of change at this Gosh. point in my life. I am who I am. I swear Lame. I like things. I like players. I like teams. Do your I daughters like wonder what it's like to Those have fun? Those were not. Do they ask their friends, like, does your dad uh, yeah. play games with you? Is it, That sounds cool. Yeah, What's it no, like? Yeah, no, that's true. Yeah. Mm-hmm. As I've told you before, my wife will tell me something. I'll have no response and she'll, uh, do you get excited about anything? What's wrong with you? Shake me. So listen, again, this is who <laughs> I am. Uh, this wasn't exactly the episode where I highlighted things I like, <laughs> players, teams, coaches, etc. Tune in next but week listen, for things she'll like. Yeah, we promise we're going to yeah, do it. It's August 7th. It's August 7th. We have a long way to go. We'll get to things uh, that I like for sure. All right. That was a fun episode. Thank you to Cliff Augustine for producing. Thank you to Ben Solak, additional production supervision by Connor Nevins and Arjuna Ramgopal. Thanks to everyone for listening to Extra Point Taken on the Ringer NFL feed. And we will talk to you soon.